All right, there was a bit of an odd ending to Earth Matters. Um, nonetheless, welcome yeah. welcome to this week's news from the drug war front, uh, brought to you by Karma and the Connection. My name is Jeff, and my co-presenter is Marion. Good morning. Good morning, Jeffrey. Good morning, listener. How are we all this morning? It's not a terrific morning out there. It's not wet, but it's a good day to stay in bed, get yourself a cup of coffee, look out the window, but listen to news from the drug war front, because there's plenty of it around. We've got stuff to talk about with the Groove and the Moo insurance being pulled, which is going to make it really difficult uh, to keep on with the testing, and we need that to be there. So I think the discussion on that will be useful. It certainly was a shock to a lot of people involved who were giving their time for free and people who bought tickets. Yeah, and and it was part of a, a test program. We've already had two parts of it. How come all of a sudden... We've got a change in the approach from the insurance insurers. It, it seems like a strange... Very strange. Yeah. But we will um, explore that so issue. So we'll talk to that, talk to that a bit, yeah? We will. Um, welcome, listeners, to uh, this edition of News from the Drug War Front, brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Home Minimisation and Advocacy, and The Connection, which is uh, providing the same services for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients. Uh, Karma is a peer-based community-controlled drug user organisation with over two decades serving the ACT, and regular listeners will um, know that we try and not only provide the news but also discuss the implications of prohibition. And promote the discussion of it too. And promote yeah, the discussion. And get other people to talk about it. Well, the only way we're going to change things, Marion, is from a bottom-up um, That's right. pressure on because politicians. Because from the top down, nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. No. No. Just more of the same. Um, perhaps give people a quick rundown of what Karma Okay, does. look, Karma um, is the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy and the Connection is the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander service, uh, which is a peer service along the same lines as Karma, but particularly for Indigenous, the Indigenous population. They're co-located at the Bill Collin Churches Centre in Shop 17, Level 154, Benjamin Way, the drop-in is open again and hours are 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., Monday to Friday. And the office phone number is 62533643. And you can... There are a lot of things that Karma can do for you. You get in touch with a particular person, ask them questions about advice or advocacy around opioid maintenance, access for treating, accessing treatment for hepatitis C, help people overcome the impact of stigma and discrimination, which is enormous, particularly that directed towards illicit drug users by mainstream media, helping people to access detox rehab, detox rehab and other drug treatment services. So referrals we do as well. And there are programs running, particularly at the moment, the Jude Byrne Pro, a memorial project with which is to do with women who've had inter, interactions or interruptions, if you like, in their family life by the interference of uh, Canberra Youth... CYPS. Yeah, CYPS, Youth People's Prevention, Protection Services, which basically just pulls mothers and children apart because mothers um, may be drug users or look like drug users or have drug use in their backgrounds. So it's an important thing. So I get in touch with so Monica, Monica mm-hmm. and, and or Louise. Is and all Louise, Louise yeah. yeah. On 62533643 and find out it's for women largely. So um, 
sorry men if you've got custody of your kids and you're having problems with um, CYPS as well, then advocate, ask Karma if they can set up a group for you too because this is really important. The interference with women is actually very important because women are seen as primary carers and if they are seen as the bad women, you know... Yeah, sadly. God, what do they, what do they call them? God's, Dan Hawes and God's Dan Police. Dan Hawes and God's Police, yeah. So if you're not, if you're a drug user, you can't be a good mother, obviously. That's the opinion of uh, CYPS and that's what this this program is all about, investigating that and talking to other women who are in the same position. Anyway, so... That's where we're up to and that's what Karma does and that's where it is. Indeed. And um, uh, that's how you contact it. Indeed. Uh, now, this news from the Drug War Front um, re- show reports on news stories that are relevant to illicit drug users from around Australia uh, and around the world, in fact. Many of the articles featured come from other sources, including the mainstream media, and the contents of this uh, broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Karma and the Connection. Karma does not condone nor condemn drug use and we do not promote illegal activity. However, we recognise that drug use happens and will continue to happen regardless of laws and United Nations conventions. As such, Karma focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development. We seek to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the provision of programs that foster community development and the delivery of person-centred holistic health care. Karma advocates for equity of health service delivery for all people. Now, um, one of the big stories we wanted to discuss today, Marion, was the um, Groove and the Moo Music Festival, which was held yesterday. And I have some articles which actually uh, predated the actual day of the festival, but um, addressed the issue of the insurance being pulled. And that's that's a really important part for us. Having the festival being held is now up to three years of what is meant to be a trial of pill testing to find out what kind of uh, rubbish is in with the GHB or whatever it is that you're buying, whatever pill you're buying, you think you're buying. And the pill testing was a way of safely investigating whether what you've got in that pill is really what you bought. Indeed. And making sure that you don't die. And before um, the pill testing was available... It was quite clear in New South Wales that young people were dying in numbers um, at various festivals because they didn't know what they were buying. The pills were off the street. They had no labels on them. There was no quantity, no quantification mm-hmm. of what was in them, uh, let alone any knowledge of the quality of the stuff that was in them. Yeah, so it was right. quite open for people to die. And the idea of pill testing was supported. Basically, I think fundamentally it's been a good idea from the outset. Oh, indeed. But the fact that it's not there any hasn't been there because the insurers um, could not provide public liability insurance or wouldn't provide public liability insurance because they think the government should be involved as well. Anyway, we'll go into the story and, and see. Um, there are three articles basically, that cover the issue and generally and will give you an idea of where various people are coming from and why they think it's a good thing not to have or why they think it's reasonable not to have insurance, public liability insurance. 
So, Jeffrey, do you go on to go on to Karma's press release? Um, look, I thought I might do the uh, position that was stated on the insurance business mag uh, yeah. dot oh, com okay. website. All right, you do that, and then um, Groove and the Movie Festival cancels pill ABC testing yep. um, after insurers pull out. So this is twenty first of April. So um, towards the end of last week. Canberra's biggest music festival, Groove and the Moo, will not provide a testing service for illicit drugs anymore after insurers backed out only a few days before the event. Groove and the Moo <clears throat> is the first event in Australia that provides free pill testing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Supported by the event organisers and the ACT government for festival goers to check whether their drugs contain dangerous substances without getting in trouble with the law. However, Pill Test in Australia, which provides the service, announced that it could not take out public liability insurance for the music festival held on Sunday because several private insurance brokers had allegedly demanded more information and imposed an impossible deadline. And uh, the spokesperson from Pill Test in Australia, Gino Bumbaka, said they've declined at the last minute to proceed with insuring us and requiring a heap of other information that was possible to provide them Impossible to provide them at such short notice, effectively terminating our service. Vumbaka explained that insurers have regarded live events as a high risk since the COVID-19 pandemic began. Somehow they're thinking it'll be a safer festival if we're not there, which flies in the face of the evidence that's actually there, he said, warning that other harm prevention service providers um, would most likely face the same insurance problems in the future, which is a real... Yeah, worry. well, it is an indication that that, that might happen, Jeffrey, and it is a worry, yeah. This is a real problem over the horizon. Any service that engages with people who use drugs, even though they're reducing harm or treating them, is going to find insurance increasingly difficult to, to obtain, and that's going to be problematic. The insurance industry has been calling for a federal insurance scheme for live events, with the Insurance Council of Australia emphasising that live event insurance will only be possible with government help. Earlier this year, the peak body Live Performance Australia also called on <clears throat> the federal government to support the live event industry. And we know what the federal government feels about uh, drugs of any kind anyway, what their standpoint at the moment is. And they haven't supported the arts much either. No. The, anyway, the ABC also did an article on it, Groove in the Moon cancels pill testing at Canberra Music Festival, musical festival after insurers pull out. This is by John Shield and Jack Schmidt from ABC News, April the 21st, same date as the insurancebusinessmag.com put its um, release out. Canberra's biggest, biggest music festival will not provide a testing service for illicit drugs after insurers backed out just days before the event. Groove in the Moo to be held this Sunday, that was last Sunday, was the first ever event in Australia to provide fill, pr free pill testing to festival goers. Oh, free testing of pills to festival goers. Both organisers and the ACT government support the controversial service, which allows people to check whether their drugs contain dangerous substances without exposing themselves to law enforcement. However, Pill Testing Australia, which carries out the check, says it could not lock in public liability insurance for this weekend. The organisation previously provided testing at 2018 and 2019 Canberra festivals. It wasn't held for the next two years because of COVID. Yeah, yeah. Its spokesman, Gino Van Booker, spelt differently in each uh, media release, said he was devastated to receive the news just days before the event. Now, Gino's um, Pill Testing Australia uh, run, the, run the pill testing 
And he's quoted as saying it's sad and quite dangerous in a way that you'd pull the rug out from underneath us now because whether you like it or not, we know what happens. Some people will use drugs, he said. Mr Van Bucker said multiple private insurance brokers had demanded extra information and imposed unfeasible deadlines. He's quoted as saying they've declined at the last minute to proceed with insuring us and requiring a heap of other information that was impossible to provide them with at such short notice, effectively terminating our service. He said that since the pandemic began, insurance regarded live events at higher, as higher risk, which had flow-on effects for health services like his. Again, another quote, somehow they're thinking that the festival, that it'll be a safer festival if we're not there, which flies in the face of the evidence that's actually there. The decision cast doubt on the pill testing's future. Mr Van Bucker said that other harm prevention services were likely to face similar insurance problems in the future. This is a real problem over the horizon. Any service that engages with people who use drugs, even though they're reducing harm or treating them, is going to find insurance increasingly difficult to obtain. And that's going to be problematic, he said. The New South Wales and federal governments both oppose pill testing, despite inquiries uh, recommending it as a way to reduce drug-related deaths. The federal government, that, I guess that relates to the one from New South Wales that had, what, 150 recommendations or something that was presented to Gladys Berejiklian that and she knocked it all back. Yeah. yeah. Um, the federal government has banned other, uh, the service at another Canberra music festival, Spilt Milk, which is held near the city on Commonwealth land. But while Groove and the Moo has ACT government backing to test pill, Mr Van Bucker said insurance brokers were now effectively deciding on the service's future. Thousands of people are expected at this week's Groove and the Moo, which is returning after a two-year pandemic hiatus. Pill Testing Australia said it had prepared for the event by rostering more than 40 volunteer staff, including health professionals. Yeah, and I think a lot of people had... Um Booked from interstate to come and offer their services pro bono. Absolutely, um, because they want to be part of this, this innovative program, and it's really important. And the amount of money that it costs to set up something like Pill Testing Australia and get people involved and um, enthusiastic about it. I mean, the, the enthusiasm is there, but the involvement is difficult if they're sponsoring themselves to come to it, if they're not being paid for it but actually paying for themselves, then it's a wonderful thing to actually have an open and public availability of testing pills to make sure that people don't, young people don't die from pills that they think are ecstasy and aren't. Yeah. And that's happened time and again. Yeah. No, it's um, it it was a a devastating um, last-minute decision and yeah um, and that this they gave them no time to answer questions that needed obviously days yeah. or weeks of investigation even if the information was there it's very to much give to last them. minute yeah. yeah and sounds like sounds something <clears throat> like sounds like a dodgy piece of work jeffrey yeah to wonder. drop in recommendations or demands 
on the on pill testing Australia just before the festival starts. Yeah, like days before it starts. Um, I have had some feedback um, uh, from people who attended, and they said that it actually um, went quite well, and there wasn't anything obviously untoward that went, um, you know, majorly wrong, which is really. Fortunate. Um, that's luck rather than good luck management, rather than good though. Manage- isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Karma did put out a press release um, on the day uh, to register the concern, and it said essentially, in a shock development, days before the Groove and the Move Festival was due to host the third iteration of pill tests in Australia's highly successful drug checking slash pill testing service, insurers have backflipped and refused to cover the service, putting thousands of young people at risk from taking drugs of un- unknown composition. Australia's first on-site pill testing service was fam- famously pioneered at the 2018 Groove and the Moo Festival in Canberra. The trial was hailed as a resounding success with seven lives potentially being saved due to the detection of the toxic compound N-ethylpentalone in samples presented by attendees. After the success of the 2018 pilot, organisers plan to expand the service for the 2022 edition with more peer, peer support staff employed and a team of chemists from the Australian National University operating a high-tech FTIR spectroscopy machine for testing drugs. The 11th hour cancellation of pill testing services is a devastating blow to harm reduction initiatives in Canberra and throughout Australia. The pill testing services proposed by Pill Testing Australia and hosted by Groove and the Moo had received support from the ACT government, the Australian Federal Police and festival organisers many months earlier. Yeah, not New South Wales government and not the federal government, strange to say. The um, press release goes on, harm reduction is an evidence-based approach aimed at reducing health risks associated with drug use and is one of the three pillars of Australia's national drug strategy. Drug checking or pill testing services aim to identify what is contained in a drug before someone takes it and supply information that may stop the person from taking the drug or reduce the harm that it will cause if the person decides to consume it. Drug checking services are not a new proposition, with several countries within Europe running their own iterations of a drug checking or pill testing service. Some programs, such as the Netherlands program, DIMS, the Drug Moni- Drugs Monitoring and Information System, have been testing compounds for users for over two decades. In recent years, the ACT government has been at the forefront of pioneering harm reduction services in Australia. In partnership with harm reduction services and advocates such as PTA and Karma, these services have strong community backing as Canberrans approach to the need to keep the harms of drug use to a minimum. Unfortunately, in this case, the risk to the insurers appear to have triumphed over the health and well-being of young Canberrans hoping to use the pill testing service. Karma asks that the ACT government steps in to open dialogue with private insurance insurers and provide clarity about Canberrans' expectation of our insurance industry in the ACT. This must happen swiftly as the current stance by insurers leaves it uncertain as to how such programs can hope to operate in the future. It must be made clear that pill testing services do reduce harm and do not increase liability for insurers. We cannot allow the risk of people dying at festivals to be outweighed by the falsely perceived risks of insuring such a service. 
one which has proven to be so valuable in saving lives across the globe. Yeah, exactly right. And um, let's hope that this is just a, a hiccup and that it can be resolved because I would hate to think that future festivals would be affected in a similar way and, well, and something other harm reduction, other harm reduction programs too, Jeff. It, yeah. just, it just doesn't sound like... If public liability insurance is based on, um, on spurious evidence or spurious questions from the insurers that can be answered only with month, years of testing first, mm. which is what they're arguing against, you know, it's a dilemma that no one can, that you just can't overcome. It might require a, well, hopefully a federally funded national program, insurance program. And we know what the federal government at the moment thinks about that. It would seem to be unlikely. but yeah, um, highly unlikely. At, at least the festival went off um, well. And yes. I haven't seen any uh, media reports, uh, certainly in the Canberra Times, of any adverse, you know, events. Uh, events yeah. Which is positive. Um, still doesn't change the fact that it was um, very unfortunate to have it. Uh, the well, they haven't just pulled. I mean, and it, it reduces the availability of information that can be used as research too. Yes. And the basis, you know, research basis for gives us evidence for the um, presentation of other programs that are really important to keep you, drug users safe. And we know that drug use happens. It's not a surprise to no. anyone. 2,000 years it's been going on <laughs> for. So why it should be a surprise to anyone? Before insurance was available, by yeah, the way. indeed. <laughs> it so, was happening then. Whether people were dying or not is neither here nor there, or was neither here nor there. Let's support any harm reduction initiative that makes it safer. And let's make an argument for the insurers or the insurance um, organisations, if you like, or the insurance industry. And I know, in fact, with HIV, they had pretty much the same kind of issue. They had problems with insuring people with HIV mm. because of the problems of unfounded, I might add, the problems of un unfounded problems of tra um, suspected transmission of HIV and how it was spread between people. Before they even knew. Before they yeah. even knew. This is... This is about the insurance industry being uneducated mm. again. Yeah. All right. Uh, might go to our first song. This is uh, The Triffids and uh, Life of Crime. All right. That was uh, Perth Band, The Triffids and Life of Crime. Welcome back to uh, News from the Drug War Front. It's coming up to the news at in a couple of minutes, but Marion, I think just uh, might pay to remind people of the naloxone training. Yeah, the naloxone or the um, the working with the reversing overdose from opioids workshop using naloxone is on this afternoon at two o'clock at the um, uh, early morning centre, and it's on today, which is the twenty sixth. Of April and goes from two o'clock until is it three, Jeffrey? Goes I think it's for an, an hour about. An hour. Yeah. yeah. If uh, the possibility is that the positions are all taken today, 
But if you want to find out when the next one is on, ring 62533643 and speak to Dave or Damo, um, who will tell you when the next workshop is on. If there's a place available today, then you can go for the one today if you're available at 2 o'clock for it. You get $30 for turning up and you also get a couple of um, nasal sprays of naloxone to take with you and the knowledge of how to save someone's life from an overdose from opioid use. And how and important And that's really is that? important. Yeah. yeah. It's the only thing we've basically got at the moment and there's nothing wrong with having it and we're going to keep it. It's being, you know, lauded all over the place, Jeffrey. It's been given to the doctors, uh, given, to, sorry, to the police. In WA. In the United States yeah. and in Western Australia. Um, I actually think that everybody should carry it. Yeah. Um, but because it's quite expensive, unless you get it on prescription, um or get it through a program like the the um, one that's run by Karma at the Early Morning Centre, um, where you get it for free, then uh, it's quite expensive to buy over the counter. Is it still about you sixty can, bucks or something? I'm not or sure of the recommended retail price, but it is. You can buy it over the counter. As, yeah, is what it's dual listed. Yeah, yeah, and one of the reasons why they weren't using it as much as they were anywhere else in the United States was because it was so expensive, and they wouldn't so they wouldn't distribute it to everybody. Yeah, but they put anyway, up the, price the police the do carry it, and that's really important to know. Yeah, no, look, we can't encourage people um, strongly enough to yeah. sign up for the naloxone. Go for training. the program, yeah. Yep. Go for the training. Learn how to do it. Learn how to save someone's life. And have it with you in case it is needed. Have All right. Two. Coming up to the 11 o'clock news, we shall return after uh, the National Community Radio Federation National News. All right, that was Eminem uh, and Sing for the Moment. It's coming up about 10 minutes after 11, and you're uh, listening to News from the Drug War Front, brought to you by Karma and the Connection from Studio One. 2XX, 98.3 FM, people-powered radio. Um, this next uh, piece I thought was quite interesting, um, Marion. Certainly in the ACT, I know that the number of um, GPs that actually prescribe opioid maintenance treatment is pretty limited. Um, and, you know, and in fact, there are, there are doctors, um, if you actually introduce the subject of methadone or of opioid maintenance programs, don't want to deal with you anymore. Oh, absolutely. They're just not interested in having you as a patient. I would say the majority it's difficult of enough. Difficult enough to get a GP of your own anyway in Canberra. Yes. Um, so, yeah, the, the whole idea of having a GP who is prepared to prescribe um, opioid replacement therapies is is luck. Or in Canberra, we actually have once a, one... Um, the interchange in particular. Which, which did the majority of it's a, prescribing majority for a long time. Prescribing, yeah. 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 Uh, okay, this is by Chloe Booker. Crisis looming. Um, GP calls for help as a small band of doctors do all the heavy lifting on opioid maintenance treatment. A general practitioner recognised for his work with people who use drugs is calling for more doctors to step up as demand for opioid treatment surges during the pandemic. Dr Anthony Michelson, who has been honoured with an Order of Australia for his service to the community for his pioneering drug abuse treatment programs, is one of a dwindling number of GPs who prescribes medication to treat opioid dependency in high numbers in Victoria. 
Quote, almost all opioid replacement treatment prescribing has been done by ageing GPs such as myself, he said. Young doctors want nothing to do with addiction medicine. There is a crisis looming. The treatment, also known as opioid pharmacotherapy, includes the use of synthetic opioid uh, methadone, buprenorphine, a longer-acting medication that is most commonly combined with naloxone that causes withdrawal if injected. Well, it was added. Um, it was originally Subutex and then they added naloxone and it became Suboxone. Yeah. Uh, and depo-buprenorphine, a slow-release injection given weekly or monthly. It is considered the gold standard treatment. I would think that would be methadone. I've mm. always... Um, yeah. heard, referred to as the gold standard. I would think so. And is used on those dependent uh, on either heroin or prescription medications such as oxycodone, morphine or fentanyl. It costs patients between 35 and $70 a week. This is from Victoria. Um, yeah. One good thing about the ACT is the uh, cost to consumers is $15 a week, which is yeah, it's standard cheap, yeah. cheapest um, jurisdiction uh, in the country. An Australian Institute of Health and Welfare report shows there has been a 5% jump in the number of people receiving the treatment from 2019 to 2021 in Victoria. This is the largest increase in the past decade. The National Opioid Pharmacotherapy Statistics report said the increase could be due to the Victorian government's real-time prescription monitoring system, known as SafeScript, designed to help reduce the death rate from accidental overdoses by curbing what is known as doctor shopping, well, that's one way you could look at it. It could also be seen as um, extra regulation and control. Yeah. <laughs> extra control. <clears throat> and just judging by the dates, I would say that this actually came to the surface, the knowledge of this came to the surface during COVID. Yes. Yeah? I would imagine so too. It's also believed that the disruption of uh, heroin supply during 2020's lockdowns could have played a part. Anecdotally, the supply and purity of heroin has since increased. During the same period, the average number of patients per prescriber has almost doubled from 8 to 14, indicating a decrease in doctors prescribing the treatment. Mm. However, the real issue is that just 6% of the 10, of 1,043 prescribers, mostly private GPs, see the bulk of almost 15,000 patients in Victoria. If one retires, it leaves services scrambling to provide hundreds of patients with treatment. As Australia confronts a rising death toll from prescription drugs, Dr Nick Carr says doctors need to be more accountable. In 2021, there were only 69 GPs seeing more than 101 patients each and 47 seeing between 51 and 100. Almost 70% of GPs who prescribe the medication see fewer than five patients each. GPs can prescribe up to to 10 patients with buprenorphine without specialised training. And the figure is likely to be worse this year. Sarah Lord, Program Manager of Harm Reduction Victoria's Pharmacotherapy Advice and Medication Service, said about 22 GPs who prescribe in large numbers had either retired or had dramatically reduced their patient load in the past 18 months. That's a big loss it of is a um, big loss, capacity, yeah. yeah. Lord, uh, that's never, ever happened before, she said. We're in an extremely difficult situation, now more so than ever before. Lord said there were many GPs left who could take on new patients. There weren't many GPs left who could take on new patients. This is especially pronounced in rural and regional areas where patients are often forced to wait weeks or travel hours for treatment. 
Through her work matching patients with prescribers, she estimated about 80% of patients were seen by about 80, 25 doctors. Lord said most pharmacotherapy cases were simple and patients stable, but a few with complex issues and challenging behaviour put GPs and clinic managers off. You just need one horror story, she said. Lord suggested that GPs should be financially incentivised to prescribe pharmacotherapy through Medicare. Michelson, who has 400 patients in the My Health uh, North Eltham Medical Centre, is not taking new ones, wants Victoria to create public clinics with, with wraparound psychosocial services and lower costs to help service the need. That's certainly the um, extra range of services that most clinics, which are for-profit in the US, but they tend to offer um, a counsel, what rap, they call a wraparound, wraparound service. service yeah. yeah, And it makes sense to do it that way too. Yes. Um, to protect everybody, to make everybody feel a bit safer and so that you don't have to keep on repeating your story to person after person, yeah. service provider after service provider, if you just have one location where you can see all of the people you need to see yeah. um, or not see, as the case yes. may be. Yeah. yeah, but at least to have the choice. Yeah. Get it clarified, yeah. yeah? What yeah. do you need and what don't you need? Yes. And that's the best way to do it, I think. Um, Lord doesn't agree that the clinic model, which is used in New South Wales... Oh, he's, hang on. Michelson were up to. He said psychosocial services for people struggling with drug addiction outside rehabilitation and detox clinics were fragmented and hard to find in Victoria. Lord doesn't agree that the clinic model, which is used in New South Wales, should be implemented in Victoria, saying they led to patients being congregated and stigmatised in the one location. Always going to be a problem, I guess. Stigmatisation, anyway. Yeah, sadly. Victorian Alcohol and Drug Association Executive Officer Sam Biondo said there was an urgent need for the state to come up with a solution. Whether it included increasing the use of nurse practitioners, Medicare patients, or something. <laughs> Drugs like fentanyl are easily accessible for Australians endangering their lives. Quote, the program currently is in a state of disrepair because of shortages of doctors, because of uneven distribution of both prescribers and um, dispensers, he says. Michelson, 70, will be made an officer of the Order of Australia on April the 28th. He founded the Eltham's Clinic Pharmacotherapy Program in 1985 and was also a founding board member of the Royal College Royal Australian College of General, General Practitioners, Alcohol and Other Drugs Committee. He agreed to be interviewed to encourage other doctors to take up the work, which he describes as rewarding. He's helped women leave abusive partners and seen men turn away from a life of crime. Quote, Drug and alcohol problems are now widespread in our community, he said. It's not just someone else's problem. Doctors can and should help. Yeah, yeah. No, well said. Um, Sarah Lord said uh, Michelson's patients had only admiration and respect for him. Uh, and she's quoted as saying, it's fantastic that he is getting this award. I just worry what's going to happen when Tony retires. One of his patients, a 51-year-old Hurstbridge woman who did not want to be named, said she would be dead if it wasn't for Michelson helping her to recover from prescription um, drug abuse that led to over that led her to overdose. 
Quote, he is so understanding and non-judgmental, said the woman who was prescribed the medication after cosmetic surgery. He doesn't categorise you as a junkie. He has compassion and he cares and he treats you like a human being. The Department of Health was contacted for comment. Yeah. um, I mean, what a big surprise. He treats you like a human being. And it... it, it, You know, I mean, that's that's what we would expect. Yes. Yeah, and that's what we actually, we demand. And inputs um, international, you know, human rights... um, for illicit drug users, for, yeah, yeah. For illicit drug users, basically says that the fundamentally, the bottom line is treat people as human beings and they will behave as human beings. Indeed. And we're entitled to be treated like that. But I would say that that issue of shortage of GPs is by no means limited to Victoria. Oh, well, not at all. I mean, we've got, uh, as I say, you know, we have a few private practitioners who are prepared to prescribe them. We have one... Um, government service that will uh, bring people into the methadone program and establish and stabilise them on a dose and then refer them out to a GP who may be accept who will be accepting of them. That's mm-hmm. the only way they can go there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is the the big um, inter- interchange practice, which takes on people who are on. Um, methadone or opioid replacement therapies and pharmacies that dispense them without qualm. But nonetheless, we'll still treat their methadone or their opioid replacement therapy clients as not real patients or not real customers, if you like. There can be that that sort of stigma, yeah. That is a real problem for me, not being treated like a real customer, Mm. that there's a special section for the not real customers to go over and get their methadone or buprenorphine from and everybody else just goes to the counter. And it, although I understand that there is, it's a bit of a dilemma, you know, whether people can be seen to be taking a drug like methadone in a pharmacy, whether they should be in a little private area or not, that might be very good for some people, but it also is another expression of stigmatisation. I agree completely. Discrimination. Yep, and unfortunately, it happens all too often. Um, well, in every, all aspects. everywhere. Yeah, everywhere, yeah. and it depends on which pharmacist you get as to how well you're treated. Mm. And it's the same as the walking clinics. Um, they, although they, many of them have been trained in how to deal with people who use drugs yep. and uh, many of the nurses that work there behave really nicely and are kind and take the drug use as a general, uh, just as a fact, mm. leave it alone and just deal with the issue that brings you to the walking clinic. There's still a, the occasional person who didn't get to go to the training who will ask you every morning when you go into the to get yourself looked at at the walk-in clinic, so did you have a shot today? Mm. And the answer to that, well, yes, of course, otherwise I wouldn't be here. Mm. I'd be sick as a dog and wouldn't care about whether I had a bad hand or not. Yeah. No, look, the level of stigma is... Been a problem forever. Well, if, without training, yeah. people will be gonna, yeah. discriminatory. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It takes training to stop people from behaving like assholes. Yeah, no, I agree. 
All right, uh, you brought the CD in, the uh, Blues Brothers soundtrack, and yeah, we have. There's so many tracks on that that's so old and so, bring back so many memories. I just thought, let's have a listen to a couple of them. Aretha Franklin. Yeah, yeah let's have a listen to Aretha. Think... The Queen of Soul. Yeah, classic. That's a classic, isn't it? Oh, I love that. And look, you know, I really think the best song she ever put out was Respect. Yes. I yeah. really think it's an excellent song. And really, if we didn't have I Am Woman as our um, go-to. flag go-to tune for, you know, women's rights, Respect would be the next one that I would go to. Yeah. It's just an excellent song. It is. Now, every week we seem to tell you something about what's going on in uh, Canada particularly in uh, Vancouver or in D.C., District of Columbia. Um, and there's a, an article here. Vancouver's Safe Supply Program begins prescribing take-home fentanyl. And in it, at the beginning, there is a picture, which is a, um, a big mural on a wall that says, how do we end the overdose crisis? Prescription heroin and opium pulp poppy cultivation rights, which I just think is fabulous. It's a great the mural, mural isn't it? itself yeah. is fabulous anyway. But the statement as well is just really clever idea. I've never even thought of opium cult- poppy cultivation rights. But really that's a very sensible idea. Anyway, the article starts Despite efforts to make medical safe supply programs in Canada as low barrier as possible, they still require most participants to make daily trips into the clinic or a pharmacy to pick up their prescription and consume them under supervision. Now, Vancouver's PHS Community Services Society has launched a new Enhanced Access EA program that allows participants to purchase their prescriptions and take them home. Available safe supply prescriptions include both injectable and smokable fentanyl, as well as hydromorphone. The EA, or Enhanced what was enhanced access pro options also include medications for opioid use disorder like oral methadone and injectable sublocade. They purchase their prescription from PHS's on-site pharmacy. Each substance is priced equivalent to its street value so that patients are paying about the same amount they would be if purchasing it, if purchasing it without a prescription. Essentially, it's the same process as purchasing a prescription for any other drug at any other pharmacy. <clears throat> Quoted, the patient decides what, the do- what dose is for them. There's no maximum dose for the program, PHS medical director Christy Sutherland told Filter. Quote, it's a natural extension to our existing programming. The EA program began April the 7th, so that's only about three weeks ago, Jeffrey. Only one patient using it is using it so far, but several others are currently undergoing the intake process. In PHS's original safe supply program, patients go through intake and titration processes observed by facility staff. 
over the course of a few days. They increase their dosage under supervision so that staff can get a sense of their tolerance and help determine the best therapeutic dose. The EA program is designed for patients who have already stabilised on safe supply through that process. At least they're looking at new options and things yeah, that actually another way of another way of having having a go at maintenance through an opioid supply program. Indeed. And a and a drug that people want, which yes. is really important. Yeah. That's a big factor that is usually overlooked, yeah. Yeah. Um, next, uh, the subheading says if patients pay for the drugs themselves, they can decide when to pick up and how often. Patients can still opt for the on-site model, in which case the program can cover the cost of their prescription. If they opt for the enhanced, what was it, enhanced access program yep. and pay for the drugs themselves, they can decide when to pick up and how often. Quote, a lot of patients I have who have stabilised on our program and are working they can't come in for all of these observed doses anymore, Sutherland says. We can create a pickup schedule and dosing schedule that works for them, for them to stay at work and still be able to access the medication. That sounds quite helpful. Very sensible. Patients can also switch between the two models as needed. PHS is a non-profit and doesn't receive any extra money from the program, nor does it use federal or provincial tax dollars to fund it but the program is completely legal and is currently being evaluated by PHS's partners at the British Columbia Centre for, on Substance Use. Sutherland hopes to see similar programs roll out elsewhere and that they can be a step towards ending the drug war. And it con uh, concludes with the quote, I hope that this program kind of contributes to that dialogue and provides safety for people involved. Yeah. Isn't that Yeah, and great? I think that Doug, John Doug Johnson is a writer and editor and journalist whose work has appeared in National Geographic, Undark Magazine, uh, New Scientist and Hakai, amongst others. He lives in Alberta, Canada. And that's really a, um, an interesting way of discussing a new program and introducing the program to the people of Vancouver. Yes. Um, and an interesting idea of being able to swap between programs, yeah? Absolutely. It's, it's, Talk about treating people like people. Yeah. Users it can like be done. people. You, it can, yeah. Because effectively that what that's saying is you can use the drugs for whatever purpose you wish, yeah? So you, you can use methadone for your maintenance yep. and you use hydromorphone or... The other, whatever else there is, fentanyl for intoxicants, yeah, because a lot of people may not drink. Like me, I don't drink. So, I mean, I have a drink once every blue moon, but that does not a, a wowser. <laughs> but the point is, um, people do want to get intoxicated on their drugs. It's, um, and to pretend that they're only having them to replace. Their addiction, one addiction with another, or one dependence with another, um, and not get intoxicated by it, seems to me to be an unrealistic expectation. Yeah, and which is why people use on top of methadone, on top of taking methadone. Indeed, sometimes they just won't have the drug that they're prescribed to as their maintenance drug. Um, will forego the drug for that day and will use that day, mm. use heroin that day. But if they come back within two days, they're still back on the same dose 
that they put on. Yeah, we need programs that reflect the reality of the human condition. And not, not, not the wishful thinking yes. of the service providers. Yeah, indeed. And the government, federal government. Indeed. I thought play a quick song, uh, Hoping for a Change, Children of the Revolution by <laughs> T-Rex. So we, we can but wish for change. T-Rex, good old Mark Bolden, uh, eh? Bit of a classic, Children of the Revolution. Uh, absolutely. Poor guy. I feel so sorry for him. You know, he was such an excellent musician and he got done like a dog's dinner by being the face of Jackie, which is a... Um, a juvenile, an adolescent girls magazine because he was such a good-looking guy. Became a teen he idol. He became and... a teen idol and that made him not a real musician yeah. and yet he was an excellent musician. Absolutely. He was just, just happened to be good-looking as well, which is a problem in those days. Look, and I know a lot of people, um, we've mentioned a couple of times the impact of the war in Ukraine oh. on drug users. I've... Um, Got a, a call, global call to solidarity for people who use drugs in Ukraine put out by From Input. Input and also yeah. the Ukrainian network. Um, maybe. And I think it's a really important one because I think a couple of issues for me that are really important, and this is one of them, and the other is rape in war, of course, which I think is, and I've said to Jeffrey off air, you know, it is, and I have said before on this program that rape has, be, and gen, has become um, basically genocide of the opposing um, side in war, and that's what the Russians are doing to the Ukrainians. They're raping the women with the intention of... Very Basically, ugly. Yeah. mass, you know, it's it's group rape, you know, mass rape, and that's just wrong. And I remember just going into yesterday's um, Anzac Day march when I was at Can at uh, we did on the women against Ra women children against rape in war march mm -hmm. and weren't allowed that's in right. the yeah. um in the march yeah yeah when we marched up Anzac Parade and we were basically held back but you know three quarters of it's the audience of actually war. stayed because yeah. it is now considered a legitimate strategy mm. in war yeah genocide by raping the women anyway. The uh, input piece says a global call for solidarity with people who use drugs in Ukraine. The international network of people who use drugs, input, stands in solidarity with the Ukrainian network of people who use drugs. That's PUD.UA or Volna. The Ukrainian network of women who use drugs and all Ukrainian peers, colleagues and friends against the invasion of their country by Putin's regime. This is a clear, unequivocal act of aggression against a sovereign country and its people that is also against the will of many Russian people who are vocalising their, their dissent despite personal risk. And I applaud them for doing that. Oh, absolutely. Add, Take some courage. Absolutely. People who use drugs are particularly vulnerable at times of war and conflict, and that's never discussed, I might add, although that's not in input, in input's out, um, <laughs> output, and never more so than when the th threat comes from a president who has actively imposed a zero-tolerance approach to drug use, harm reduction, and people who use drugs. It means they mean Putin when they say that. Um he has ignored all global recommendations made by the 2017 made in 2017 by the UN Committee on Economic and Social Rights 
to align drug policy with human rights, including lifting the blanket ban on opioid agonist treatment, OAT. In 2013, drug user activists took on the might of the Russian state by lodging a landmark case, uh, a good name, Kurmanayevsky, et al. versus Russia, with the European Court of Human Rights that ultimately was rejected. In contrast to Russia, Ukraine has been a harm reduction leader in the region by demonstrating commitment to the right to health of people who use drugs. Tragically, during Russia's unlawful annexation of Crimea in 2014, 800 people were suddenly thrown off the opioid placement therapies, um, opioid agonist therapies, sorry, treatments. Uh, Russia's unlawful annexation of Crimea, yeah, um, programs in line with Putin's extreme views. This led to between 80 and 100 entirely preventable deaths, all in the name of fear-mongering and moralism. With holding OAT has been defined by the Special Rapporteur on Torture as a violation of the right to be free from torture and ill treatment. Yeah, look, I remember reading a lot of stories about people who were just suddenly kicked off their program once uh, Crimea was annexed. and Yeah. Well, I didn't read all that because I'm not on outcomes. the internet, but just yeah. having, you know, been listened to the stuff over the last few weeks, Jeffrey, and what's it been, five weeks now of, of war yes. between Russia and, and Ukraine. And it's, I mean, 80 to 100 people just died. Since Putin over to annex Crimea, I mean, it's just horrendous, yeah. isn't it? Well, it doesn't believe in harm reduction. No, at all. And that's just withholding the mm. opioid agonist treatment, which means they went back onto using whatever was available in the way of opioids yep. and died yeah. because they overdosed yep. or were using stuff that wasn't really what they thought it was. History cannot be allowed, it goes on to say. History cannot be allowed to repeat itself in Ukraine. Currently, there are thousands of Ukrainians who are worried, not only about Russian aggression, but about how it will impact the supply of methadone and buprenorphine and broader harm reduction in their country. We cannot accept that amidst all the costs of war, that access to essential life-saving medications to be disrupted. Uh, Putin recently took on his took his demonstration of people who use drugs to another level when he referred to the Ukrainian government as a band of junkies and neo-Nazis. <laughs> and remember, we quoted that yeah, we uh, yeah. last week and the week before, Jeffrey. There should be no misinterpretation or underestimation of Putin's comments here. In an age where similar comments made by heads of state have led to extrajudicial killings and violence against people who use drugs in countries such as the Philippines, equating a community of people who use drugs in addition to the leadership of a democratic country with a hate group should set off a loud alarm bells for what may become uh, for people who use drugs under, uh, for what may come for a people who use drugs under a Putin regime. We all have a responsibility to speak out against hate talk of this kind and prevent further atrocities being committed in its name. And Russia has been a leading advocate of 
prosecuting the war on people who use drugs Absolutely. and getting in the way of reform. The global community must stand up for the rights of people who use drugs in Ukraine, including the approximately 17,000 people on opiate agonist treatment uh, programs amidst this crisis. Drug supply on the streets has been interrupted and people, whether remaining in Ukraine or travelling across borders, are in more need of evidence-based treatment than ever. In Ukraine, people who use drugs are bravely fighting for their lives and defending their community. They are creating temporary shelters for those who have fled or lost their homes, sharing limited resources and plugging the gaps of health systems. And I've been keeping up with that um, from people that I know who are you know, still in Ukraine, yeah. harm reduction workers who are trying to source, you know, um, opiate replacement treatments and get them to people. Well, remember that article that we did last yes, week yeah. about the guy who was actually um, in his flat for a good proportion of the time when he wasn't trying to source Lyrica or some replacement drug because he actually had a dependence That's right. on um, opioids. Really amazing stuff. Yeah. Look, the piece goes on to call on UN agencies, including the Global Fund, multilateral and bilateral donors and other stakeholders to commit to a whole range of actions um, through the United Nations, um, which... I can, can only endorse. Um, and it just concludes, the world is struggling to comprehend and deal with the aftermath of the Russian invasion that is undeniably a threat to peace everywhere. People who use drugs have always known how damaging and futile wars are and that its impacts are felt by the most marginalised and oppressed. We call for global solidarity and action to mitigate the immediate consequences of this act of violence and aggression for peers in Ukraine who are fighting back against tyranny and further Persecution. Yeah. We can only endorse all and every action um, that Look, input. Yeah, and there are what, one, two, three, four, five, six, five recommendations or demands basically about dealing with people with opioid um, issues yeah. uh, in the Ukraine and what they're doing. When they go to another, I mean, I don't even know what happens when they go to Poland because I don't think Poland is any more sympathetic on uh, about opioid assisted uh, opioid and agonist therapies mm. anyway um or the provision of methadone i think there there's are people other trying to help but yeah yeah but yeah it must be frightening oh look just absolutely frightening i have enough problems with putin and his intolerance of drugs. Well, the first statement that I ever heard was that there was no, when we were dealing with HIV, no <laughs> drug users <laughs> in, in Russia at all. Strange, but we don't like opioid agonist therapies anyway, mm. so we wouldn't we buy have... them if we had drug users, yeah. which we don't. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> Just ludicrous. All right, I might play a quick song. Um, this is Cypress Hill, and when the shit goes down, you better be ready. All right, that was Cypress Hill and When the Ship Goes Down. Okay, we've got time for one more story from the US and it's entitled Can Medical Cannabis Help so Solve the Opioid Crisis? by Rob Whitley from Psychology Today, April the 20th. Uh, the subheading is Medical Cannabis May Provide a Much-Needed Alternative to Prescription Opioids. Today, uh, April the 20th, otherwise known as 420 Day or Weed Day, a day that has become associated with cannabis use uh, across the world, but it also provides an opportunity to shed light on interesting recent research surrounding medical cannabis, some of which indicates that the judicious use of medical cannabis could help reduce the misuse of prescription opioids. Uh, 
Prescription opioids are a class of painkillers often prescribed by physicians for people experiencing chronic pain. Such pain can derive from a variety of sources, including accidents, injuries, military service, as well as the wear and tear of everyday life. Despite the ability to dull and lessen pain, prescription opioids can have side effects. Specifically, they may be habit-forming. This can lead to opioid misuse by unwary individuals who started taking opioids on a doctor's advice in a sincere effort to control pain. One survey indicates that over 10 million Americans misuse prescription opioids. 10 million. Wow. Uh, Such misuse can be dangerous. The Centre for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, reports that opioids were implicated in around 450,000 deaths in the US from 1999 to 2018, and around 35,000 Americans died from overdoses related to the misuse of prescription opioids in 2019 alone. Moreover, the misuse of prescription opioids can lead to severe impairments in areas such as employment, education and relationships. Importantly, surveys indicate higher rates of prescription opioid misuse in men than amongst women. Men account for around 70% of opioid overdose deaths. Some research suggests that men are disproportionately driven to prescription opioid misuse to control pain incurred from working in dangerous workplaces such as manufacturing, transportation, the military or law enforcement fields in which men comprise the vast majority of the workforce. Such men may be prescribed opioids by physicians and slowly become dependent over time. This can lead them to seek greater dosages from their doctors or try to obtain prescription opioids on the black market, uh, contributing to more severe dependence and a downward spiral, resulting in the aforementioned impairments and overdoses. Mm. Can medical cannabis help is the next heading. A growing corpus body of research indicates that certain strains of medical cannabis, particularly strains rich in cannabidiol, cannabidiol, sorry about that, troops, have powerful pain-killing properties and can be a beneficial agent in chronic pain management. Indeed, some emerging research research suggests that medical cannabis can provide a much-needed alternative prescription to prescription opioids and may even mitigate some aspects of the opioid crisis. For example, one seminal research study showed that US states with medical cannabis laws had significant lower rates rates of opioid overdose deaths compared to US states without such laws, implying that pain sufferers often choose medical cannabis over opioids when such a choice is available. This is consistent with my own research on Canadian military veterans living with chronic pain. Many reported they were originally prescribed opioids for pain relief, but that the side effects became intolerable. Given that cannabis is legal in Canada, they decided to use medical cannabis instead, which brought many benefits. This is illustrated in the veteran's own words in the short but poignant video below. The way forward. A solid body of research indicates that the misuse of prescription opioids remains a massive health and social issue in the US. Meanwhile, a related body of research shows that medical cannabis can be an effective painkiller and is a preferred agent for many people living with chronic pain. However, the medical establishment has been slow to integrate such knowledge into everyday practice, perhaps due to, one, the lack of training in medical cannabis, two, enduring stigmas associated with cannabis use, and cannabis users, and three, concerns about prescribing a substance of ambiguous legal status. 
all this implies a need for concerted efforts to destigmatize cannabis use and raise awareness about emerging medical researchers on the topic. With such efforts targeted at medical practitioners and other influential stakeholders, e.g. teachers and employers, as well as the general public. This could help create a climate in which medical cannabis becomes an accepted and legitimate option for people suffering from chronic pain, providing an alternative to opioid prescription. This, in turn, may help mitigate some aspects of the opioid crisis. Let's weed out the cannabis myths now. Here, here. Mm. No, I think there's so much potential for, you know, treatments if we can only legalise medicinal Absolutely. cannabis. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, I... I know I have a, a friend who has a, a huge problem with uh, back pain, upper back pain. Yeah. And with, in any other circumstance would be more inclined to use um, a prescribed um, muscle relaxant. Yep. But in fact uses, medis- uh, uses cannabis mm-hmm. instead. Yep. And that's a much more relaxing uh, drug for him to use good. and much more useful as nice. far as I'm concerned. Oh, that's good to hear. All right, that takes us out from this week's show. Thank you, Marion. Sure Thank do. you, listeners. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you, people. It's been lovely and please look after each other. Indeed. COVID is not over, let me remind you. We've got around about a thousand infections every day. So yeah. let's not have it anymore. Keep but yourself be safe. safe. Get your masks on public transport and if you're hanging around with school kids. Indeed. We'll leave you with uh, some of our theme song. Yay. (laughs) Golden Brown. Haven't played it for a while. Bye, everybody. Bye. We love you.